We're in the last week of our series about David today. Um, and so this has been an interesting series. And David is such a complex person. Uh, he was the son of Jesse. He was a shepherd. He was an armor bearer. He was a harp player for King Saul. He was a soldier. He was a king. He was a prophet. He was a husband. He was a father. And each of his roles had really distinct challenges. Uh, we see this through the Psalms how expressive David is. And I've, I've enjoyed as we've gone through this series hearing and reading from the Psalms uh, just to see kind of the backstory to, to David a little bit. Um, but one of the most challenging things to him was being a father. And as a, as a parent, um, David showed some things that we could imitate, but he also demonstrated some very serious flaws that we would do well to avoid. Now, I'll give a disclaimer to this morning, too. Um, I don't want you to leave here kind of feeling beat up and discouraged. It's been a little heavy the last few weeks as we've talked about David and Bathsheba, and we're going to talk about his role as a father today. And I want you to know, and I'll just share this as a disclaimer up front, you can do you can be an incredible parent and do a lot of things right, and you can love your kids, and yet they can still choose to rebel and walk away. And yet you could do a lot of things wrong and mess up as a parent, and your kids could love God and be great. So I don't want you to, to, to preach a message on David and his failures as a father this week and for you to, to leave here just like feeling, man, I, I'm, I'm terrible. I, I want you to leave here encouraged on how you can model and teach your kids how to follow Jesus, though. And um, I just want, want, wanted to kind of give that as a disclaimer. Um, God, he was the perfect father in the Garden of Eden, and yet Adam and Eve still chose to disobey. So don't put that pressure on yourself that you've got to be perfect because you're not going to be perfect. But there are things that we can learn from David's story that will help us do a better job in raising our children. And so uh, with that said, um, today we want to talk about David as a father. He's known as this man after God's own heart, but he made some parenting decisions that had disastrous consequences. A, a running thread, that you'll see this throughout the Bible, is how important it is to pass faith down from one generation to the next. You see this in the Passover where Moses instructs the Israelites to teach their children the meaning of what they're doing. In Exodus 12, he says, then your children are going to ask, what does this ceremony mean? And he will reply, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. So he, he, there's, this, there's this explanation that happens from one generation to the next. As your children ask, you have a job to tell them. Uh, in Deuteronomy, the, the, the famous prayer, the passage that we read in chapter 6, that we teach our kids, right? You must commit, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. And, and so we see this is a process, Throughout Scripture, we see this, the importance of teaching our kids the right way. And when this doesn't happen, we see the consequences. In Judges chapter 2, and this is a repeating refrain throughout the book of Judges, uh, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord 
or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. And then it kind of adds in, each generation they did what was right in their own eyes. I just have to say, I feel like we're living in a society, in a world where we're seeing that take place again. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes. Everybody thinks that they get to decide what is truth. They get to decide what is right and what is wrong. Based on their feelings, based on what they think, they've put themselves in the position of God. And that's the world we live in. And that's why it is so important that we pass down our faith to our children. And it's a faith not based on what we feel or what we want or what we desire, but it's a faith based on what God says. And so that's really what this morning's going to be about. Um, I want to help you guys with that. And so uh, David really has two main failures as a father that we're going to talk about today. Um, and, and I think, again, these are to encourage you. These are to learn from. These are so we don't fall in and make the same mistakes that he made. Here's David's first failure as a father. David was a detached father. He was detached. He wasn't involved. He was passive. He was silent. He didn't really get involved in the lives of his kids. And so I'm speaking to, to mothers and fathers today when we talk about this. We see this, how he was detached in a few ways. One of the big ways, he failed to discipline his children. We have uh, several examples of this. First, uh, we'll talk about the story of Amnon and Tamar. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story. Um, it's, it's a sordid story in, in Scripture, uh, but... Uh, Amnon and Tamar were brother and sister, the same uh, dad, different mom, so half siblings. Um, and Amnon became infatuated with his sister. And so he devised this scheme. He pretended like he was sick and had his sister come and take care of him. And then he violently raped her. Now, this is, this is one of those stories in the Bible that you, I mean, it just, it's, it's, you read it and you're, heart breaks and when you really think about these are real people this is just terrible this is you you couldn't imagine the family going through this um and in second samuel chapter 13 it said but amnon wouldn't listen to her and since he was stronger than she was he raped her then suddenly amnon's love turned to hate and he hated her even more than he had loved her get out of here he snarled at her this is such a tragic story. It's such an evil story. He committed this terrible sin, and then he hated himself, and he hated her because of it. And that's what sin does to you. It makes you hate yourself. It makes you hate everyone around you. It destroys relationships. It destroys families. And that's what we see taking place here. Uh, but it gets worse. Her other brother gets involved, too. And in and, and verse 20, it says, Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now since he's your brother. Don't you worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. That's all it says. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. 
So this is an interesting story. Not only is it this, this it, it's, it's terrible to think about, but to see how David responded. David heard this and he was mad. He was very angry. You could even say he was furious about it. But what did David do? Nothing. He was a detached father. He's like, oh, that's terrible. He didn't, he was the king. He could have made, he could have had justice here. And whether it was to throw Amnon in jail or even to put him to death or whatever, as a king, he could have done something. He did nothing. And some of the early manuscripts of the Bible, and actually the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, we find there's a little footnote, a little additional notation here on this verse where it said he was angry. And this statement, you'll see it as a footnote in some of your Bibles today. Uh, it'll have a little footnote, and you click on it and, uh, or, or you know, read it at the bottom of the page if you actually still have a, a Bible. Um, I have to kind of throw that in there. Um, it, it reads this. It says, David would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him since he was his firstborn. There's that little footnote. Like David, he loved his, his son so he wouldn't punish him. Let me ask you, is it really love if you fail to discipline your kids, if you let them run wild? Is it really love if you just let them run wild? No, it, it, what it does, it tells them that they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, and there are no consequences. And, and so, in, in short, David spoiled his son. I mean, I think that's something that sometimes we're guilty of as well, right? He was afraid to confront his son about his behavior, and because of it, there were serious consequences for his family. And so this was not an isolated case, though. David had another son, Adonijah, that he also failed to discipline. If we skip way ahead in the story, and I won't kind of bore you with all the details, but in 1 King, you should go and read this sometime on your own. It says this, um, uh, it says his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom, and he was very handsome. So it, it's almost like, you know, he's a good-looking guy, so he got to do whatever he wanted to. The, this, is, this is the family. This is David as a father. In two separate, distinct cases, we have the same fault highlight, highlighted here that David would not punish his kids. Now, can I just tell you, there are going to be times if you are a parent that you are going to displease your kids. Would you agree with that? <laughs> there are going to be times that they don't like you. There are going to be times that they are frustrated with you. Your job is not a popularity contest. Your job is not to be the cool parent that lets them do anything they want. Sometimes good parenting means that we have to interfere with our kids' lives and help protect them from self-destructive behaviors. We need to help them when they hurt others. We need to interfere when they displease God. We need to step in and show them the right path to take. Now, as they get older, our job kind of changes a little bit. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of dealing with that now. We've got kids that are older and married, and our job now is not to tell them what to do, right? It, it's to help coach them. It's to be an advisor. It's to be in their corner helping them. But I'm still a parent. I still have a responsibility to them. Um, and, and so we see here, right, we've got to, if you love your children, you're going to correct them when they go off the path. Um, 
in Proverbs 3, it says, For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. As a parent, you cannot be detached. You, you can't stand back and say, well, let's just see how it turns out in the end. You need to be involved in your children's life and you need to discipline them when appropriate. It even says in Proverbs 13 that if you don't discipline your, your kids, you, you, in essence, you hate them. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. And so uh, we don't what what we we don't discipline out of anger. We don't discipline uh, because we're frustrated. We discipline out of love, and we don't discipline. Uh, let me just throw this in here, not to get off on a whole a different topic, but we don't discipline for childish immaturity. I think sometimes you've got to realize kids are just kids, and their brain hasn't developed, and they're going to do. We we discipline for rebellion for disobedience not for immaturity I think that's somewhere I see sometimes parents kind of you know kids are going to forget things they're going to we have to learn where they're just immature and learning versus where they're disobedient so this whole idea here um and you, you'll see this throughout first and second Samuel first and second Kings you'll see that David was just not he was not involved in the lives of his kids. Let me let me give you some examples from our world today. Let me kind of tell you this, and 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 I'll tell you, it's easy to see this in other people, but don't just sit there and say, "Oh, I see that. I know. I know who this who this describes." Think about your own life as well. Uh, there are a lot of parents who never let their kids experience the consequences of their actions. That's detachment, right? They're parents that bail them out of trouble at the first, you know, at the first hint of trouble. And we've talked about this a little bit before. It used to be you had helicopter parents that would kind of hover over your kids. And now you've got bulldozer parents that are just removing every obstacle in the path of their kids. Is that really helping them? Or, let me say this, if you're constantly blaming your child's teachers their coaches, their friends, you look at everything going on and it's always someone else's fault, what are you doing? You're not letting them experience the consequences of their actions. You're not really disciplining them. You're not correcting them. You're telling them you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, and it's always someone else's fault. You're playing the victim card. And and so we see that a lot in our world today. And I I would just tell you, if your kids don't learn to respect human authority, how can you expect them to uh, respect godly authority in their life? This is is an issue today. And so if you're detached and you fail to discipline, you fail to correct your kids, you're going to end up with kids who think they can do anything at any time and they don't answer to anyone. And can I just say, do we see that in the news today? Do we see that in the behavior? Uh, of, uh, uh, and I, and, I, and I don't, I'm not bashing young adults because I see some incredible young adults who love God, who are serving God. I'm just saying this is out there. We'd be foolish to say it doesn't exist. And so uh, th- that's some example. Here's another way that David was a detached father. He refused to take any action, even when it was necessary. 
We already mentioned when he heard about Amnon and, and Tamar, he was just angry, but he didn't do anything. But fast forward two whole years. David had still not made Amnon, uh, he not held him uh, to account for his actions. So Absalom, who was Tamar's full brother, he, 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 he kind of devises a plan. He ends up killing his brother, Amnon, uh, out of, uh, to, to, to seek justice. And so he exacts justice. And, and we see how David responded here in, in 2 Samuel 13. David mourned many days for his son Amnon, but Absalom fled to his grandfather, Talmai, son of Amuhad, the king of Geshur. He stayed in Geshur for three years, and King David, now reconciled to Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. So when Absalom killed Amnon to get back for what he had done to his sister, he fled. He went to his grandfather's house uh, in Geshur. David knew where he was. David was the king over all of Israel. But David longed to be reconciled with him. But David did nothing. He didn't reach out to him. He didn't try to seek reconciliation. He didn't run after him. He just kind of sulked at home. And we see this time and time again that David refused to, to, to go after his, his children. He made no effort to be reconciled. He made no effort to hold him accountable. He just let him go and was all right with it. And then finally, Joab, his military commander, talked him into doing something. He's like, you've got to go and talk to your son. And, and so it says in 2 Samuel 14, we're kind of skipping through the story. There's so much here. So really, I do encourage you to go back and read. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. It sounds like a good thing. Okay, Joab, he's going to be the middleman. He's going to bring him back. But the king gave this order, Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. Didn't we just read in the chapter before David longed to be reunited with Absalom? And now we see him saying, he, he's, he can't come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king. Now the city of David in this time, it was not a big city. Uh, you, from David's house, you, from the palace there, you could look out down the hillside and really see everything right there. I mean, it's a lot smaller than Galax. I mean, it, it, this, is, this is a tiny place at this point in history. And so he's looking down. It, it's not, he's going to know that Absalom is there, but it, he's still saying, but we're not even going to talk. He's basically saying, if he's out of sight, he's out of mind, I'm not going to deal with this. Again, this is a dangerous apparent. If you think that sometimes things will just go away if you don't talk about them, I will tell you that that's not how it works. Instead of fixing the problem, it just made it worse. We see people do this all the time today. That's why people ghost each other. It's like, okay, if I, just, if I act like you don't exist, then I don't have to deal with the conflict, and, and then I can just go along my own way. But we keep reading in 2 Samuel 15. It says, After this, Absalom brought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He wanted to look like he was important, look like he was royalty. 
He got up early every morning. He went out to the gate of the city, and when people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. And then Absalom would say, you really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. So when David's pretending like everything's all right and he doesn't take care of any of these problems while he's not, while he's being that detached father, Absalom is busy scheming, trying to to, to take over. In essence, he sets himself up at the gate and he kisses babies, shakes hands. He becomes the politician. And what he does is he tells everyone exactly what they want to hear. You want to get people on your side, you just tell them what they want to hear. Right? I mean, that's, that's what Absalom does. And because of de- David's detachment, because of David's passivity, right, Absalom rebelled against his father. He publicly undermined his authority. He then launched a full-scale coup. He was going to take over the government. And unfortunately, the lesson is clear here because David wouldn't act, and David lost his chance for reconciliation. And so the lesson is clear. Things only get worse when we're detached, when we don't deal with conflict. You read in 2 Samuel 15, a messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all of Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once or it will be too late, David urged his men. Hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. What we see, and we're going through this story fast, but I'm just telling you, what we see here is David chose to flee. He chose to run. He chose to escape his problems instead of dealing with them. I mean, this is the king that had defeated army after army in battle. This is the guy who defeated Goliath. And yet we see him so afraid of his own son that he just flees. Can I just say, uh, one of the strategies that many people have for dealing with conflict is escapism. I'm going to run. You know people who are runners. They're just, anytime there's conflict, they run away. They leave relationships. They leave marriages. They leave problems. They, because they, won't, they can't deal with the heaviness of conflict, with, with, uh, with any type of disagreement. Um, that's what David did here. He wouldn't, he wouldn't kind of dive in and deal with the underlying problems that I fully believe they could have been fixed. Why? Because he was a detached father. I think that was his, really his biggest failures. He was uninvolved and he was afraid to really sit down and talk with his own children and deal with their actions. So that's the first failure. Here's the second failure that I think we need to talk about. And, and this is this kind of goes back to last week. David had set a bad example. David had set a bad example for his own kids. Now, so much of what David experienced could be traced back to his own failures and his own sin. And we talked about this the last two weeks here. There are consequences when you sin. There are consequences to your actions. And so it's ironic that 
you look at Amnon and Absalom and Adonijah, and it's ironic, you look at their sins and their attitudes, and so much of it reflected the whole uh, the whole issue, the whole incident with David and Bathsheba. We see, uh, we see this. They're uh, sexually immoral. They're uh, greedy. Uh, they're scheming. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're murders, murderers even. And we see all of that in David's life and this whole episode with David and Bathsheba. Now, I'm sure that the, the stories had been passed down. They had heard what their father had done. And if David had just, we know he repented before God. We talked about that last week. But when we read the stories of his children, it doesn't really sound like he ever really talked to them about it. We can't know for sure, but it sure seems like they've repeated the sins of the father. And so we've got to have integrity as parents. We've got to be the same person um, on Sunday morning as we are during the week. I'll just tell you this, that our teens and our kids today, and I think this is partly because of social media, they can spot a fake pretty quickly, right? They can spot someone that's trying to be something that they're not. And and so they're going to figure it out really quickly. If you say one thing and you live another way, they're going to discredit everything you do and say. And so you look at this whole story. David has fled the palace He's running for his life. Absalom takes over. What does he do? He sets up on the roof of the palace right where David and Bathsheba's sin took place. And he gets all of David's wives and concubines and pretty much just has a a raunchy fest on top of the palace there, right? For all of Israel to see. He's flaunting this just to say, hey, look at what I'm doing. And I know he's thinking back. This is where it happened with David and Bathsheba. He, he, he's following the example of his father. And so what happens, and just to, I won't read the story, but you'll see that um, he's trying to take over. Joab and David's military commanders go after Absalom. Uh, David tells him, deal gently with him. He's my son. They're like, deal gently with him he's trying to take over the king uh, the, the kingship and so they find him when his has a uh, he, he gets caught in a tree riding on his horse and next thing you know Joab and his men kill Absalom and so David is devastated about this because he's lost his son sin has consequences examples that you set today Uh, will have long-lasting consequences for your children. And and so the story really doesn't even end there. As you keep going, his next son, Adonijah, uh, really decides that he can pull off a coup. He tries to do the same thing, and he fails as well. And so all of this can be traced back to David's sin with Bathsheba. That was the domino that started all of this into play. And remember, one of the consequences that Nathan the prophet told David was that the sword will never depart from your household. We're seeing that take effect now. I read this this week, and it said this. It says, every time you are confronted by the failures you see in your child, take a moment to consider and repent of your own sin before continuing with discipline or restoration. Don't let the domino effect of sin destroy your family. And 
and I don't know about you, but when we, we're talking about setting an example, so many times I see something in my kids that I get mad about, and then if I step back a minute and think about it, I'm like, I did the same thing. I see myself in some of their worst qualities. That's humbling when you, when you actually acknowledge that. Like, where did they get that? Why would they do that? Oh, yeah, that's kind of what I used to do. That's how I acted. That's what I... That's where we've got to repent of our own sin. We've got to own it. We've got to really deal with God and, and, and help understand because we're, we're setting the example for our children. I think that's why Paul says in Ephesians, why he has this command for fathers. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. We set the example. We show them the right path to take. We help them determine what is right and wrong. We show them what is important in life. And, and I'll just kind of step back a minute and I'll say something that's not real popular. Um, I'm, and as a pastor, I feel like I can speak into this. Um, I've been working with teenagers going back over 25 years now. And I've seen this play out time and time and time and time again. As parents, you want your kids to experience everything. You don't want them to miss anything. You want them to, uh, you're raising them and you're thinking, man, they're going to be a great athlete. They're going to be a, a great, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, whatever hobby they have. And you like, you feel like, hey, I'm going to let them do whatever they can do. And, and I've seen this play out so many times that parents choose activities, sports, and hobbies over church and over faith. And they, let, and they think that they're, they're doing something good for their kids. Can I just tell you what David Platt says? I love David Platt says, Our goal in parenting is not ultimately for our kids to get a great education or to be great athletes or to, be, or to find a great husband or get a great career. Our goal is for them to love a great God. That's our goal as parents. And I'm telling you, if you get to the point where you think uh, church is just what you do when you have nothing else on your schedule... What do you think you're setting an example for your kids? Do you think that they are going to be in love with God? Do you think they're going to be in love with God's people? Do you think that they're going to be involved in church as they grow up? I'll just go ahead and tell you, there, there are exceptions to this. But time after time after time, what I've seen is parents who have gone down that path and let their kids do whatever they want to, whenever they want to, and don't make church a priority, their kids are not involved in church as they grow up. I've seen it I, I, just time after time after time. I've seen this take place. And parents think they're doing their kids this great, uh, they're, they're giving them an advantage. They're helping them. And what you're doing is you're teaching them that they don't need to be involved in the things of God. It's just something you do occasionally. We've got to set a better example for our kids. And that kind of brings me to my last point this morning. Um, and it's simply this. David's failure as a father. And he, there's, a, there's a lot here, right? It points us to the perfect father. And so this is why I don't want you to leave discouraged, right? Because David's story is one of how power and possessions can lead you astray. Um, but the story doesn't really end here. Because David is pointing us 
towards someone that is greater, the greater David that's going to come, the, 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 the Savior that's going to come, the Messiah that's going to come from the line of David. And so David is a precursor. He points us forward. David, with all of his failures, points us to look at the one who would come that would be the perfect father, the one who would never let us down, the one who would never sin, the one that could forgive us of our sin. And, and so the task of raising children faithfully, it's not an easy one. And, and we'll look through the Bible and you see that so many champions of the faith, people that we look up to and respect, failed as parents. We see that even today. People you admire and respect, uh, you look and, and you see their struggle in parenting. But, I will, but it gives us hope when we look that, that God is the, the perfect father. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, See how very much our father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Now, one of the things we haven't talked about is we've talked about Amnon and Tamar and, and, and Absalom and Adonijah. David had another son, a son named Solomon. And David did pass down some things to Solomon, right, because Solomon was a good king who honored God. He was not perfect, but we see him really lead the nation well. And so, but still yet we see that a greater king is coming. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come up from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so we see this. The Old Testament, all of the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. And so really we see the foundations laid here. That's why Jesus tells them, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I read this this week and I want to close with this this morning. So the praise team, you guys can get ready and come back up. But it talked about how Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater David. I want you to listen to this. It says, Jesus is the greater David who defeated the greater giant. Jesus is the greater son of Bethlehem who was born into obscurity. While David was a nobody from nowhere, Jesus left heaven to be born there. Jesus is the greater unexpected candidate who was overlooked and forgotten. While David was the least likely brother to be chosen king, Jesus was despised and rejected by all men. Jesus is the greater anointed king, consecrated in the shadows. While David was anointed to be king without Saul's ability to know, Jesus was appointed to be king without Satan's ability to stop. Jesus is the greater shepherd who is watching over his flock. While David watched over his sheep and protected them against danger, Jesus watches over us and protects us against our greatest enemy. Jesus is the greater suffering servant, enduring injustices. While David was persecuted for his sin and other sin, Jesus was persecuted for our sin. 
Jesus is the greater wilderness wanderer, abandoned and betrayed. While David struggled with temptation in the wilderness, Jesus proved victorious and emerged from the wilderness spotless. Jesus is the greater substitute, taking our place in the battle. While David became the substitute for King Saul against the enemy, Jesus became the substitute for us who were who were the enemy. Jesus is the greater warrior charging the battle line. While David ran towards the fight with passion, Jesus ran towards the cross with joy. Jesus is the greater slinger of stones defeating the enemy. While David threw the stone that would be the death of Goliath, Jesus threw the stone that would be the death of death. And Jesus is the greater king reigning forever. While David reigned in power as king, Jesus will reign forever as king of kings and lord of lords. That's what David points us to. The father who will never let us down, who will never betray us, who will never disappoint us. And so if you're here today, maybe your experience with your earthly father was not a good one. Maybe it was a good one. It doesn't matter. It point, the Bible points us to a father that loves us and is there for us no matter what. Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this series that teaches us that David was a man just like us. A man that struggled, a man that tried to do good, but yet a man who was deeply flawed. So Lord, will you help us as parents? Will you help us to be the kind of parents that you've called us to be? To set a godly example, to be involved with our kids, to lead them, to point them to the Father that will never let them down. And will you help us, Lord, as we just continue to teach and share what it means to follow Jesus. Lord, we love you. And I pray for each and every person here. And, and I don't know the struggles that everyone is having in parenting, but I know there are many. And would you just encourage and, and bind up the brokenhearted and help them to understand, Lord, that, that, that you are there, that you can comfort them, that you can help them in their time of need. Lord, I, I pray that as a church, we would continue to be a church that empowers and equips parents to teach their kids how to follow Jesus. And Lord, most of all, I pray that we understand that the only way to our Heavenly Father is through Jesus, His Son. And so today, as we close out this sermon, as we close out this series, would you help us, Lord, just continue to tell others about the wonderful news of the Father who loves them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.